Welcome to another episode of the Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to talk to Bill with Slammer Tackle, and we're going to kind of go over the history of Slammer Tackle, what do you got, uh, you know, why you got into building baits, and I think we're going to talk more about the minnows than we are the deeper divers, more about the casting stuff, because for early season, a lot of anglers are out casting, and they're not doing so much trolling, not saying that you, you can't catch them trolling right now, it's just that it seems like more people are they're fishing shallow and they're using, you know, shallower presentations. And so his minnow series definitely fits in there. And we're going to talk about that, you know, what their uses, how he uses them, techniques, things like that to help you guys catch a couple more fish this year. And if you're looking for Slammer Tackle, this is a very um, time appropriate episode as we just got a new batch of Slammer Tackle in. So I believe we're stocked up on almost everything, maybe not quite everything, but just about just a, a really big order from Bill and so slammer tackles in stock if you're looking for the largest selection of slammer tackle team outdoors.com is the place to be we have more color selection than just about any retailer I can think of we carry his full lineup of baits including you know the deeper diver stuff the four inch the the big stuff the 12 inch we recently added some stock colors in on the 10 inch and 12 inch too and we already had some stock colors in the other stuff so we're Continuing to round out our selection of Slammer Tackle, but like I said, we have a giant selection of it, giant color selection, his 5-inch shallow minnow, which we're going to talk about here. That's probably been his most popular bait in the last year plus, year and a half. And I think we have, I don't know, 30 some odd colors in that. If you can't find a color through our website that you uh, that will help catch you fish, then uh, I don't think you're going to find one. If you uh, If you like our podcast... Uh, be sure to subscribe to it on you know whatever platform you're listening to podcasts on and that way it comes directly to your mobile phone whenever we put out new episodes typically we're trying to shoot for every other week on a monday and uh, we're not super consistent with that so if you want a super consistent musky fishing podcast check out our backlash podcast that we do in conjunction with uh, brad and carrie from musky mayhem tackle we have a weekly podcast there, and we put it out every single Wednesday. So if you're finding this podcast here, search out Backlash Podcast. It'd be Backspace Lash, and you can you can find their uh, consistent content there. We talk to a lot of guides or industry professionals about tips, tactics, everything it takes to catch more fish. Hopefully you can help put a couple extra fish in your net this season or year, depending upon where you live. Speaking of seasons... Coming up on Wednesday, we have a Backlash podcast that's going to have two guests, and we're previewing northern Wisconsin, uh, whether it be Green Bay or you know further north in Wisconsin. We have three different guests there that we talk to and kind of give you a roundabout thing, and that's coming up in two days from when you hear this podcast. So if you're looking for more information, how to catch muskies this coming season for northern Wisconsin guys, check that out. And like I said earlier, if you're looking for a great selection of musky gear for your next musky fishing adventure, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Enough about me and Team Rhino Outdoors. We're going to go right into our conversation with Bill from Slammer Tackle. All right, my guest today is Bill Schwartz with Slammer Tackle. If uh, you're not familiar with Slammer Tackle, you definitely should be some of the best crankbaits on the market. Very affordable baits, but well-crafted, and you know Bill's going to get into that. But Bill, you know, first things first, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Oh, not a problem, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, actually, and talking about our product. It's been a lot of fun. It's been quite the ride over the last, oh, quite a long time. I actually started the company in 1989, uh, making baits out of, out of wood, you know, through, through wire construction, wood baits. You know, things progressed to different sizes, different models. And in 
2007, I, I switched over from uh, the wood, and we we slowly switched over uh, model by model from wood to a solid plastic. You know, we were, we wanted to kind of increase our volume of baits, and uh, we felt that going down the plastic route would be the best route, and you know, injected molded baits. And but I wanted to keep the bait through wire construction, so we we kind of went towards uh, the solid plastic. It's a solid plastic molded bait with the wire, but the wire form inserted in the belly of the bait. And uh, we still kept with this, you know, thick, clear coat, you know, that we had from the wood baits, and it's been working out great. Yeah, and I would say, you know, based on especially the last couple of years, Bill. I mean, it seems like you know you've been around since 1989, but it seems like things have really picked picked up steam. Obviously, the you know the fishing industry itself has really picked up steam, but your baits in particular have really, really kind of almost. I mean, they were popular before, but it seems like they've exponentially grown in popularity in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely noticed that too. And I think a lot of lot of it is is just with that transition from wood to plastic. There's a lot of guys that really like wood bait. There's that there's that certain mystique of having a wood bait, and and you know for years and years and years, and and you know there were a lot of guys that were hesitant when we switched over, and you know like geez, I just like the wood ones. Can't you just keep it that way? And comes a time and a place where you know it just I think there's some days where that real high buoyancy wood stuff works good, but we kind of have a mix of everything. You know, the baits are still buoyant, and but they're tough. And it, it took some people, took time for people to realize that. And, you know, it just, you know, just started rolling and rolling and rolling. And, uh, you know, it's been working great. And, you know, you guys at, at Team Rhino have been just selling a ton of them and, and we're happy to see that. And, you know, the new colors, I think, with all your custom colors that you guys offer and stuff like that, it's just been, uh, People have been seeing that, and they, they really like that kind of stuff, and I think it's all just grown, you know. You know, a testament to the strength and durability of them. I think, I can't even remember, Bill. I want I want to say it was probably four years ago I came down, but if you told me it was seven, I could believe that, too. I came down trolling with you. I think it was one, like, Saturday morning or something like that, and you had a four-inch slammer. I can still remember it. Maybe it'd be a sucker color or something like that, and it was, like, one of your most favorite four-inch baits, and the hook groove <laughs> yeah. on that thing was just about ready to break that bait in half. I mean, how many muskies did you catch on that thing? Probably a hundred. Well, the, the locals down here know that one is good sucker. When when guys will be, you know, text me or call me on, you know, how'd you do today? I, you know, as soon as I say I got three or two or one or whatever on good sucker, they all know what that bait is. It's one of my, one of the first four inches that came out of the mold, and I like I like on on my local Lake Pewaukee. I really like that sucker pattern and. You know, honestly, if I said it caught 150 fish, I, I, it would probably be on the low side. Um, it was just one of those baits that really sang the right song down there. And not only on numbers of baits, but uh, and I started fishing Pewaukee in the early 80s, uh, you know, like 82, 83. It got really serious in about 85 with musky fishing. And uh, when was it? Four years ago, I got my first 50-incher out of Pewaukee. I just thought I would never get a, a big, you know, we've got a lot of fish and a lot of four footers and 49s. And, but I finally cracked the 50 inch and it was on good sucker. And it's just one of those baits that work good. And, uh, the next year, you know, trolling along one morning, Rod goes and, and I get one in it, you know, scoop it up in a net. And I thought, Oh my God, I got another, I got another 50 inch here. And it was, it was just the heaviest four footer I've ever seen in my life out there on Pewaukee. And, and now once again, it was on good sucker. I've uh, been, you know, still work using that bait all the time until last year in, in January, or January, July, uh, trolling along, Rod goes with Good Sucker, and um, 
uh, got a 47, 47, maybe 48 incher and let the fish go. And, and the hook rash actually wore into the rattle chamber. I went to epoxy it back up that night and got epoxy in the rattle chamber and it doesn't rattle anymore. Um, so since then I haven't caught a fish on it. I run it. I don't run it as much as I used to, but still wiggles, but just doesn't have the rattle. And so I have the replacement of good sucker and that one's been doing pretty good too. So I can't complain, but that was just one of those baits that boy, oh boy, it, it just lasted forever and caught just, you know, you know, probably 150, 170 fish on it. It's just been, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it's like I said, if you saw it, I mean, it's an old war horse for sure and still in great shape. Did you ever have to repaint that one? No, no. I, uh, it's just been the original one. I, and I, I have a firm rule that I, I don't paint over baits that are too chewed up. If the hook rashes wore into them, I might put them in a pox, clear a pox or a hook bite. I don't, generally don't want to, if it's working, don't mess with it. So I, I you know, and I never even repoxy that one or nothing. It was just uh, just teeth marks and hook rash that were worn into it. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's a it, like I said, it's an incredible bait, and uh, you know, it's just it's a testament to how well they they uh, you know hold up. I guess maybe that's why we got to continue to come out with new colors. We need we need to give people a reason to purchase new baits because you know they last they last so well. Like I said, I don't want anybody to be scared off by the price tag on them. I mean. You know, Bill, you can kind of talk about how you can keep the prices inexpensive as possible. I don't need you to give away any trade secrets, but I mean, it's crazy in in today's, you know, musky world, everything starts at 20 bucks, it seems like, and you have an entire crankbait lineup all, you know, from that 13 $14 range, you know, and I think the most expensive one you have that we carry is maybe like twenty nine ninety nine, thirty one ninety nine, something like that, and that's all the way up yeah, to your 12-inch. Yeah, I mean, it's in, you know, well, the prices are incredible. Yeah, I look at some of these baits on the, on the market that are, that the paint jobs are just taxidermy quality. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that by no means um, are mine, do they look like that. I think all the colors are very good colors and, and they obviously catch fish. But we, when we paint baits, we, we, we work on volume. So, I'm usually, I, I paint in baits that are kind of clipped into a rack. Each rack holds a dozen baits. And I'm painting anywhere from five to seven dozen baits at a time. And so when I get done with the first rack, I go all the way to the last rack. And then I just, by then, by the time I'm done with the last rack, the first rack is, is dry, so I can start the second coat. I just ro- rotate it through. So when somebody comes along and says, hey, can you paint you know, one or two baits? And I, I really, I hate saying it, but I really can't do that because I'm just not set up to do small stuff. So, so when, you know, we just cut time with that, you know, and we're still profitable. You know, I mean, <laughs> when I, you know, I'm not, not like I'm just doing it for my health. I, I, I keep pretty good records on where I'm making my money and or whatnot, but it, it um, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing it just for fun. It, it's, you know, we do fine. You know, we, we make money. Obviously, we can always make more money, but you know, it, it, it's, it, it works for us. It's a system that works for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems to be working and, and, you know, don't, don't fix it if it's not broken. So it, it, it's a system yeah. that works. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of your colors just get a little challenging, but you know, they look neat and, you know, we, we like I said, we, we make it up on the volume. So it, it works out well. Yeah. I like to challenge you a little bit, you know, I say, Hey, <laughs> what about this? What about that? You know, it's a new, uh, it's a new challenge every single uh, week. It seems like, and I um, mean, we, we've been trying to 
you know, bust through a few extra colors yet this year, but obviously, I mean, you're busy, so I get it. It's not, it's not, not a problem, but we're still looking to push the envelope a little bit further with your color patterns. I mean, see if, see if oh, eventually yeah. I stump you and there's something that you just can't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we, we've got a few new colors coming out that I'm looking forward to getting out there for you. And um, the bigger challenge we have right now, Jeff, honestly, is, uh, uh, it's fishing season. <laughs> so um, I, I like to spend time on the water and, and that, that becomes a challenge now with, with making the baits. But, um, you know, enough talking about the baits. Let's, let's talk about fishing. Let's talk about using them. Yeah. That's, that's where the fun is at really at. And, you know, this time of the year, you know, uh, early May, uh, springtime patterns, I, I really like the small stuff. And one of our prior most popular baits that we have right now is our little five-inch shallow minnow. It's... Um, you know, it's a great little spring twitch bait. And one nice thing about about minnow baits, uh, the shallow running minnow baits, is there's really no wrong way to use them. I mean, you can straight crank them, you can twitch them, jerk them in, or you can you control them. And generally, this time of the year, my go-to tactic is, 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 is twitching them. And when I refer to twitching them, I'm snapping the rod. I'm just reeling, reeling kind of steady and just snapping and popping the tip of the rod and get that bait. The key with a twitch bait is getting that bait to dance around. It's, you know, a lot of times in the fall that, you know, slow stop, swim, stop, swim, stop, just a straight, you know, the, the bait's just swimming three feet and stopping, floating up, you know, that's okay when the water really cools down in the fall. But this time of the year, because the, because what we're doing right now, the water, like last, this past week, the water on Pewaukee has been in that, you know, mid to upper 50. So these fish are in spawning or just finishing up spawning right now. So food and eating is really not on their mind. It, it, you've got to trigger that fish to eat. It's got to be an uh, impulse strike. And if you can't get that bait to dance around, uh, real erratic, and, you know, it, it's going to be tough to catch fish this time of the year on Twitch baits or any bait for that matter, because you really got to work this time of the year for a or a reaction strike. And that's where I like, you know, that a really erratic twitch bait. And so I think the big key with the bait on the bait wise is what I like on a twitch bait, whether it's the, the five inch, the, the six inch or seven inch, or even the eight inch, you know, eventually I start using that. But I like the light wire hooks. I, that really allows that bait to dance around. And a lot of guys, you know, they, they, oh my God, you know, I straighten out the hooks and this and that, because the next thing I'm going to tell you is about the rod I use. I like to use a heavier, extra heavy action rod. So now, now you're combining a, a really beefy rod, no stretch line and light wire hooks. So you got to be careful, obviously, but, but the light wire hooks and what that's going to do is it's going to allow that bait to dance around side to side as you're twitching it in. There'll be times that I like to put a heavier hook on. If I'm going to troll any of our baits, I like a heavy hook. You know, it's going to give a little more weight down the belly of the bait, and you're going to get a lot more speed out of the bait. But for twitching, man, it, it, it's one of them things. I really like those short shank uh, light wire hooks. Let that bait dance around. Uh, another time for twitching, I might put a heavy hook on is if I want that bait to be closer to neutral buoyant. You know, so the, the real key with where I'm working this bait really hard, I'm twitching, twitching, bringing that bait and letting it dance around. And when I can just see the bait, maybe when it's 10, 12 feet from the boat, I just stop really and let it float up a little bit. And then I just, what I call a boat side rise. And I'll do it with any little glide bait or any any one of our twitch baits. And just let that, probably the most important part of the whole entire retrieve 
is letting that bait float up at the boat side. And under real cold conditions, if you had a cold front, you're out there uh, after a post-cold front, then I want to get that bait maybe a little bit slower rising. So I might put a heavy hook on then for, for twitching, but generally, no, just a light wire hook. And and then, I, you know, if I'm going to troll them, then I'll put some heavier hooks on. It's interesting to listen to you talk about, you know, your technique in the boat side rise. I recently did a podcast with Steve Hiding on our other podcast, Backlash Podcast, and he talked again about that specific technique. I guess, what is it? What is it? I mean, do you find that you get a lot of strikes on the boat side rise? I'm going to say 50% maybe. Funny story. So it's not a spring scenario, but two, it, was, it would have been two years ago because Canada was closed last year. But So my son and I were up in Canada last year, and, and uh, about, a week be, about a week and a half or so before we went up, I... Uh, Call my buddy who was up there, and I said, "Hey Brent, how how's it been? How was your trip up there?" And he said, "Toughest trip you ever had." I said, "Oh, that sucks." So we get up to camp on that you know following Saturday, and I talk to the camp owner. I go, "Hi, how's the musky fishing been?" He says, "Oh, last week nobody at camp caught a musky." Like, oh my god, that sucks. Go out Saturday night, caught a couple pike, never saw a musky. Go out uh, Sunday, and go out Sunday, same thing, never. Uh, I think we seen a couple fish in the morning, and it was just a tough fight. Never saw a fish the rest of the day. And now I'm starting, you know, geez, we should maybe brought up some walleye stuff or something. This is going to suck. And generally, you know, I like that. That um, when I'm up in Canada in September, I like to keep that boat in about eight foot of water and cast up to the shallow rocks and whatnot. So I said we got to try something different. So Monday we go out, and the second spot we hit, the boat was probably in maybe 15, 16 foot of water. And I'm, I'm just reefing in a, you know, really hard reefing in an eight inch perch slammer. And at that boat side rise, I have a four footer come out from underneath the boat. And just, it was probably in all my years of musk fishing, it was probably the neatest boat side rise fish I've ever seen. Cause it actually came out from underneath the boat. You could just see the gills flare and it just inhales the beak. And, uh, it was just, and my son, you know, he, he sees it and all of a sudden I'm going, Oh my God, nice one, nice one. And he, he said, boy, you know, my son said, I thought it was big until when you said it was big. I thought, oh, my God, this thing's got to really be big. But mm-hmm. so it, was, it was just great to be with my son and all, all, you know, see all this stuff happen. And so then, you know, after I you know, let the fish go and I'm, I'm sharpening hooks and retying, and I start thinking, my gosh, this fish, you know, the boat was, you know, way back off the rock pile. And we were casting to about where the boat normally is. And this fish came out from underneath the boat. So we actually slid back, and instead of fishing that, you know, 8 to 10 foot of water, we, we actually were keeping a boat in about 20, 20, 21 foot casting to the reef. And the rest of the week was really good. We had two, three fish a day for the rest of the week, just hard ripping, you know, 8 and 10 inch slammers. The moral of the story, an important thing is, not only does it, is it affect it, but it, it told us on that trip, it told us that these fish were not up where we thought they would be, up in the shallow rocks. They were actually back a ways and so we split out even further so it, it kind of gave us you know okay these you know we, we got to slide this boat back these fish are, are not up on the rocks they're, they're just on that saddle as it starts moving up to the break you know the break line and so you know as important is that as that boat side rises for trigger and strike it also you know like I said for us it, it showed us where these fish were now you know if they're coming chasing the baits on the retrieve in then all of a sudden it stops and they eat it okay those fish are up shallow but like I said, for us, this was a game changer. It saved our week of fishing. I really think, you know, because 
having that fish come out underneath the boat and then realizing that these fish are back yet, you know. So it, it was really super important. I think, you know, you said, I will not finish or retrieve with a twitch bait by just twitching all the way and then going to figure eight. The boat side rise to me is the most important part of the aspect. And, and we even sometimes mid-retrieve, I'll, I'll just give it a pause here and there. But I like I like the boat side rise because I can see them eat too. So. That's a cool story because it kind of, you know, just, um, I guess, puts a point on just paying attention to like where, you know, where that fish was, you know, I mean, if you would have just sure. yeah, yeah. went through the motions or whatever, you might not have paid attention to it that, you know, where, what was going on with that fish. And you, you might've been like, Oh, we, okay. We got lucky with one fish. But when you realize, you know, something like that, like you said, it, it got you thinking like, okay, maybe we need to back off the structure a little bit because just because of a certain time of year, it doesn't mean that the muskies are always where we want them to be. Like they, oh, they do sure. musky things, yeah. right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like you said, it was just one of them things that it, it was our, our big game changer for us for the week that, you know, and, and um, you know, so not only is it important for triggering strikes, it, it just, you know, by paying attention where these fish are coming after it is, is huge, you know, and like I said, a lot of times, you know, like this time of the year, generally, you know, because we've had kind of a cold, crappy week this week, so, you know, I'm going to probably back off a little bit. I don't know if these fish are going to be really uptight. You know, that sometimes that cold water in the spring will push these fish back. And, you know, a big thing is going to be is, is, you know, if we get a follow or if we get one to hit on a boat side rise, where did that fish come from? You know, did it come from the side of the boat, underneath the boat, or was it following the whole way in? And, you know, so, you know, that little paying attention is, is huge on that boat side rise, but so, so a real key with, with getting that bait to dance around, though, on part of the retrieve is, is I like a heavy action rod, softest rod I'm going to use when I'm twitching, even our five-inch bait. I'm using a heavy action rod or even a, a extra heavy action rod, like a big nasty, uh, something like a St. Croix rod. Something pretty heavy, you know, I want a really stout tip, so when I'm popping that rod tip and smacking, just, you know, four to six-inch snaps, I don't want to soft spongy rod where I'm not going to get a good snap out of that bait. So I'm using a pretty heavy rod. And like I said, you have to be aware of that with the light wire hooks, getting that bait to dance around that. But you know, you can't just hurt, you can't just, you got to fight the fish. Then. You can't just reel them in. Sad to say, but I think a lot of musky fishermen have lost the art of fighting fish. They're, they're used to, you know, they're using an extra heavy rod, 80 pound test and a power handle. And, and they get a, a 36 to 40 inch fish and they just reel it in you know drag is buried down and they, they've lost the art of, of fighting a fish you know <laughs> oh yeah so i won't yeah i won't just, disagree with you at all i mean how many how many youtube yeah. videos do you watch where the the fish hits and it's in the net in 10 seconds you know yeah yeah and and when i when i see somebody post online about hey i've had a you know i'm throwing a cowgirl and you know they're using i think a six knot mustad hook and he goes i straighten out that hook it's like First thing I think of, geez, back off the drag or, or some of this, you know, you're putting, too, you're straightening out that heavy of a hook. You're, you're just putting too much pressure on it. So like I said, I, I like the heavy action stuff, the heavy, the only time I use a medium, medium heavy action rod is if I'm working one of our gliders, our drop belly glider, or any small glide bait for that matter. It's just the biggest problem I see with small glide baits, get them to, to glide right, is guys will overpower them with too heavy of a rod. And so then I'll use a medium heavy action rod or, or like, a, you know, like a St. Croix, a long ranger or top and tail, something a little spongier tip of the jerk bait. But, but for the, for the minnow baits, we're twitching them, 
you know, you give me a nice heavy action rod, extra heavy action rod. When I start getting to the big stuff, 10-inch stuff, once in a great while, if I feel ambitious, I'll, I'll switch to the 12-incher in the fall. But, you know, late spring, something I've been doing for years now is, is, is in the late spring, once these fish get done spawning and, you know, give them a couple weeks and uh, I, I go right to the big stuff. I like the, the minimum eight inch bait and usually a 10 inch bait is my go-to. And then I use a two extra heavy uh, a rod, something with a lot of power. And I like a high speed reel uh, on all my twitch rods, twitch bait rods. I have a high speed reel. I don't care what, you know, I got some Shimano's, I got some Revo's and whatever you feel comfortable with, but I, I got a high speed reel with a power handle and I want to be able to take up that slack line when I start snapping that bait. And uh, that seems to work good for me. You know, as far as a leader goes, um, I'll use it, you know, the fluorocarbon, you know, there's only one word in fluorocarbon leaders in my opinion, that's stealth. For the real small stuff, I, I like, I like his, you know, 12 inch, 80 pound test fluorocarbon. That's, you know, that's about as light as I want to go on a fluorocarbon leader. Keep an eye on it when you get a fish and, or after a while, even the hooks, you know, if the hooks are starting to nick it up, you got to, you know, replace them. It's, it's being an 80-pound test for a leader. But I like that. That's a really good leader. John makes a really good leader. Uh, or, you know, even he's got some 90-pound um, some uh, braided leader. Uh, I think he uses the American Fishing Wider. It's a nice, flexible leader. Just something with some flex. You don't want to twitch these 5- and 6- and 7-inch minnow baits you don't want to be using a 150 pound fluorocarbon leader. It's just, you're going to, with a big snap and, you know, you're just going to kill the action of that bait. You want a nice small little leader. And sometimes I'll make my own out of you know, an American fishing wire. They have a 49 strand, uh, 90 pound test. It's just a nice flexible ties really nice. And maybe make them about eight inches long, eight to 10 inches long. And just a nice light leader, a smaller snap. Too much overkill on that leader, you're going to kill the action on those small baits. Yeah, for sure, and I would agree with you. Stealth Tackle is probably the premium brand for leaders. I I just recently filmed the or recorded an episode of the podcast just talking leaders with John, and I think that'll actually be out. That will be out when you hear this one already, so you can go back and listen to that one if you want to know about leaders. I I talked to John about it. So, Bill, the one thing that you didn't talk about with your setup was pound test online are you use do you ever use 65 pound test or are you pretty much going with 80 and 100 i'm an 80 guy pretty much everything i run on casting rods is 80 pound test i just buy the big jumbo spool of i like the once again i think it's user preference some guys like power pro some guys you know whatever i i'm kind of like the Cortland master braid it's just i buy the big jumbo spool of 80 seems to work good yeah Trolling, I've got a whole array, you know, it's funny because when guys will you know, get a musky rod, they got the medium heavy, the heavy, the extra heavy all the way down, and they got their bucktail rod, and they got their double 10 rod, and then they got one trolling rod, with 80 pound test. <laughs> and I'm just the opposite. I, I've got just as many, if not more, trolling rods than I do casting rods. I've got 50 pound mono rods with, you know, John's. His standard trolling leader, the, the 30, 36-inch, 130-pound leader, nice big fat leader, big fat line. If I got to troll, you know, up over the top of the weeds where I want the line to push water and keep the bait up high, I, 
far as for trolling goes, yeah, that's a whole other animal. For casting, yeah, I, I really like that 80 pound. And then, you know, one thing I want to talk about, we didn't necessarily cover it, but I know we had a conversation, uh, might have been yesterday, I can't remember when I talked to you, or, or the day before, and you you had said you last year you had really good luck with your 5-inch minnow. This past weekend you did better with your 6. How do you choose between your 5, your 6, and your 7? And I'm talking primarily for early season. I know you said, you know, shortly after this early season period you're going to break out the 8s and 10s, but how do you choose between those three models the big difference, let's just talk about the two smallest baits we make is the is the five inch, and then we've got our little six inch middle and and, the, and even even a seven inch. But the, the seven inch and the five inch have the square lip, and or the six inch has the round lip. And a lot of guys will ask me, you know, they'll, I get I get an email or a call once in a while, you know, just hey, why don't you change a six inch? And I like that six inch round lip because it has a little bit a su- little more subtle action doesn't have that high vibrating pitch when you're twitching it. You know, you really feel that when you're twitching a five inch or seven inch, you really feel that bump when you're twitching it. Where the six inch is a little more subtle. And there's, there's times where, you know, tougher conditions, maybe after a cold front or high pressure, where these fish want a little bit more subtle presentation. That's when I kind of go to the six. The six incher also runs a little bit shallower. The seven incher and the five incher run a little bit deeper. So on a normal cast, when you're twitching it, it might run down three to four feet, where the six incher might run down two to three feet. So this year on Pewaukee, the water is down about a foot and a half, maybe, yeah, probably about a foot and a half. My boat doesn't go under the dock when I'm tying up, but it, it's right there. It, it, the water's down quite a bit. So some of these rocky areas, this time of the year, I, I really like to look for rock. I like, you know, chasing the spawning areas, uh, weeds, uh, rock, especially later in the afternoon, late morning. That rock kind of draws in heat and gets that warm water. Another big key this time of the year is I want warm water. So where the wind's blowing the warm water, wind's blowing the cold water, I want to try to find that warm water. So something I really pay attention to. And like I said, rock. Rock is key for especially post spawn muskies because they're they're gonna they're gonna want to go where that warmer water is, and that rock is. So the rock normally is some of the rock piles that I fish out on Pewaukee. They might be you know three four feet of water. Well, this year they're two three feet of water, even less, a foot and a half to two feet of water. So I couldn't this you know this last Saturday I couldn't fish a five inch in a lot of these areas because it was running too deep. So. So I kind of switched up and went to a six incher just for that reason. It was just, it runs a little shallower and big differences, especially with the five and seven compared to the six is just that round lip gives a little bit more subtle, subtle presentation. And sometimes the fish like that. Yep. I would agree. I think, you know, it's great, great uh, to talk about, you know, for guys that are getting out yet. I mean, Northern Wisconsin is probably going to be, Oh, I'd say probably similar water temperatures to where you're at right now, barring out anything crazy that happens yet in May. Obviously, we've seen wild, you know, weather swings in May. It can definitely change the uh, change things up. So, Bill, one last question: Do you ever throw any bait that's not a slammer bait? I already know the answer. I just wanted to, you know, put it out there. Casting wise, yeah, I throw bucktails. I throw surface baits. I, you know, I, I think other than that boat side rise, it, it's super exciting, and but it's it, to me, it, it's just the, the thrill of the hunt and, and having a, a fish come up and, and chase a surface bait around or, or, you know, go around four times on a figure eight with a bucktail. You know, yeah. So, I mean, definitely when it comes to, you know, if they're eating bucktails, I'm, I, you know, 
I might be stubborn, but I'm not stupid. I'm going <laughs> to try, uh, I'm going to do what the fish want. And, uh, so yeah, I, I throw, you know, cowgirls, flashers, uh, you know, a lot of bucktail that I love surface bait fishing. Problem we have on Pewaukee some days is with all the boat traffic, the lake is just shredded with floating weeds. It can be a challenge throwing surface baits, but it, it's a, you know, it can be a great surface bait lake out there. And, when you can when you can work a surface bait. When it comes to trolling, no, Jeff, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't really troll my stuff. You know, it was just troll slammers. Yep. Yeah, and I I kind of knew how it was for you. I knew with it, when you were casting that you were kind of changing things out, but I also knew if it was a trolling time, you were going to be only catching them on slammers. And I think you're the first one to admit that that's maybe not. You know, maybe it, I think you've said it to me before. There's a chance you're missing fish, but you'd like you like to always use your own stuff and you still always think it's the best option. Well, it's a confidence thing. Definitely a confidence. You, know, you got to have confidence in whatever lure you're going to throw and or, or troll or whatever. And uh, for me, it's a confidence thing. I just have a lot of confidence that I, I really feel that one of our models of baits that we make is going to do what we want it to do. And that's catch a fish and um, proved over the years that my stuff will work for when I'm using it. And, you know, but yeah, like I said, it, it's uh, I know, a few years ago, Tim from the PMTT asked me, he goes, why don't you fish our tournament? I said, Tim, to be honest with you, if they're not eating slammers, I have a really long weekend. You know, <laughs> I'm going to fish a tournament. I'm just going to use my stuff. And, you know, but if I'm just fish fishing, yeah, I mean, I'll throw bucktails and surface baits. I'm not a big rubber guy. I should probably throw more rubber. And I've got a couple of buddies that give me a hard time that I, you know, I don't throw a lot of rubber and I probably should throw more. But like I said, I just, to me, I'd rather just, I'm going to, jerk a big rubber bait, I, like I said, I really just jerk a 10 inch and snap that around. All right, Bill, I just want to thank you for coming out on the podcast, talking about your, you know, like I said, we're primarily talking about your minnows, the minnow series. There's uh, you have a whole line of other stuff that we can definitely dive into at some point yet this season talk for sure. When we get more into, you know, that, that midsummer or, or uh, fall trolling time, there's obviously there's, you have an option for every time of year. I mean, there's no like slammer season, essentially. I mean, you have, you know, the stuff for the early season. And then I know you go to the four inches, especially down you by you in the summer. And then you, I, a lot of times you take that late uh, Lake Vermilion trip in the fall and you're trolling all your big stuff in the fall. So we'll have you back on at least for sure. Another time to talk about some of your trolling options, but I just want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk about your product and hopefully uh, help educate people as to where, when, how, and why you'd want to use a slammer bait. So thanks again, Bill. Well, yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me on. And I, and I hope the listeners, I, I, I hope they picked up some tips and, and uh, you know, if you got any questions or, you know, if we didn't cover something you want to know about it, you know, feel free to shoot me an email and, um, you know, chat muskies no problem so yeah once again jeff thanks a lot for having me on yep thank you bill and that's our conversation for this week on the team rhino outdoors musky fishing podcast we just want to thank all of our listeners who tune in whenever we put out new episodes i'd like to say weekly but it's not weekly uh, i've mentioned that before it's as consistent as i can be considering all the other hats that we wear pretty much all the content that we put out is produced in-house i do all the editing and producing and the filming and the whole thing so you know, not to mention putting out orders and updating websites, and I still run an electrical contracting business, so we're super busy, and so content can sometimes be a little inconsistent. But we want to thank everybody for tuning in. I know that we're going to try to be as consistent as we can be this summer, and hopefully we'll get uh, more guests. This podcast, I've talked mostly to 
uh, bait makers and bait builders. That's pretty much what we do on this podcast. So if you want to listen to guides, we have another one for that too. So once again, I want to thank everybody for taking some time out of their schedule and listening to this podcast. We want to thank all of our customers who keep us in business by shopping with us. And we'll see you again next episode.